2: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
3: You're listening to
4: the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Judd Legum, the founder of Popular.info. Judd's Twitter handle is Judd Legum, L-E-G-U-M. I am a proud subscriber, by the way, and encourage others to do the same at Popular.info. Your newsletter this morning was about the QAnon cult and the Trump administration and the Trump campaign getting increasingly cozy. Before we dig into the substantive details of that, You want to summarize, for people who may have been living under a rock, exactly what the QAnon cult is all about.
5: Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit unhinged even to describe it out loud, but it is a group of people, and it's quite a large group of people, who believes that there is a group of Democratic officials and celebrities, people like Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, Tom Hanks, etc., who are actually Satan-worshipping pedophiles who are running a sex-trafficking ring. And Trump is the hero who will disrupt and save us from this pedophile ring.
4: Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that this pitch about you know what these Democrats and progressives and George Soros and everybody else, what they're up to, is essentially the exact same pitch or very similar to the, to the same pitch that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion laid out in 1902. This was written by the intelligence chief for Tsar Nicholas II's administration, that they were accusing Jews of, that Hitler then weaponized by saying that basically he was the savior that was going to save people from this cult of Jews. Now we've got Trump as the savior that's going to save us from this cult of, of liberals, the names have changed but it seems like the through line is the same am i missing something
5: yeah i i think there i think there's a lot of historical similarities i mean i think both if you go back deeper in the history but also just you know in 2016 we had the Pizzagate thing which was another conspiracy theory that involved a child sex trafficking ring
4: couldn't you say that, that was sort of like uh, the crystal knock i mean that was that crystallizing moment no pun intended So tell us about Trump and both by way of administration and by way of campaign reaching out to this particular cult.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing and the reason why I wrote about it for this morning was that yesterday, Bill Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, Ivanka Trump, who in addition to be the president's daughter, is obviously one of the more prominent administration figures and has a job in the White House, appeared at an event in Georgia where they weren't really announcing any new policy or anything. They were announcing a small amount of grant funding to combat child trafficking. That would be one thing. But they actually just last month had a similar announcement where they both jointly announced another small amount of funding for groups that are fighting child trafficking. Now, there is child trafficking itself does exist. And so there's nothing wrong with doing that. But it's clear that Rather than just trying to do something about the real issue, they want to make this a big priority. And it makes sense when you look at what Trump himself, when he was asked about QAnon, what he said was that he understands that they're supporters of him, that he appreciates their support, that they're growing in popularity, and he thinks they're people who love the country. So there has been a systematic effort from Trump and his administration, and we can talk about this later, other ways his campaign to court this constituency.
4: And the consequences to American democracy would be?
5: Allowing something that's so unhinged to drive and be a part of your campaign strategy, I think is just on its face, disturbing. But also, this conspiracy theory has been driving violence all around the country. The FBI issued a intelligence briefing last year talking about QAnon representing a rising threat. And it's because if you believe that there is this secret pedophile ring, people are motivated to do whatever it takes to stop it. So we've had murders, we've had train hijackings, we've had kidnappings that have been all associated with adherence to this. So it's quite dangerous, but at the same time, it's an immensely popular conspiracy theory. Trump campaign understands this as an important part of their base. If you look at any Trump campaign rally, you'll see people with signs, T-shirts, all sorts of things expressing their allegiance to this, what's effectively a cult.
4: I don't know that there's any evidence of, you know, liberals kidnapping or trafficking in children. The Trump administration certainly has. I mean, they've, they have separated several thousand children from their families. Over a thousand of those children are gone. They're missing. We have no idea where they are. And so if anybody out there is moving children around in a way that might be sketchy or could even fall under the rubric of child trafficking, it seems like it would be the Trump administration. Has anybody pointed that out to these folks, or things like that don't matter?
5: What's really powerful about this group is they've obviously completely insulated themselves from any information or any kind of logical thinking. So you're not going to get them to care about Children who are being separated from their parents at the border, and then you're right that many of those they've lost track of them now because they lost track of it doesn't mean that you know some of them may have found some place to go, some of them may have gone back to their home country, some of them may have found a a relative or someone to live with and don't want to be found, but at the same time, you know if you care about kids, you probably want to care about that issue, but it's not something you can't try to make too much sense of it it's more about. A feeling. People are finding a sense of community and
4: purpose. But yep. do you think that sure. you and I are having a conversation very similar to the conversation that Jews in Germany were having in 33? Oh yeah, that protocols of the elders. Nobody really believes that crap.
5: Well, I think people really do believe it. And I do think it's very dangerous. And once you go down this road, you don't know what's going to happen. And I think we need to have a particular lookout for this group in response to a potential Trump loss in November and how they react. Because if Trump tries to stay in office, these are the people who are behind him, whatever he decides to do.
4: Yeah, as was the case in Germany in the 30s are the people who believed that the protocols of, of the elders of Zion was, you know, the truth about what was going on. It's amazing. Judd Legum, the founder of Popular.info, one of the great investigative reporting sites out there and a great newsletter well worth checking out, Popular.info. You can tweet him at Judd, J-U-D-D, Legum, L-E-G-U-M. Judd, thanks for dropping by. Great talking with you, as always. Thanks a lot. This
6: is the Tom Hartman Program.
4: Yesterday, I was talking with the president of the human rights campaign, the HRC.org. And I said to Alfonso, you know, words to the effect of there's not a single Protestant on the court. We've got five Catholics, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Roberts. And four of them, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh, are apparently all members of this hardcore right-wing Catholic kind of cult church in Washington, D.C. I didn't say that yesterday, but we don't know about Roberts. The top two female contenders that Trump is putting out are both hardcore right-wing Catholics. Catholics in the United States represent 21% of our population. There are 70 million people who are registered as Catholics, roughly. 15.5% of the adult population of the United States. Six out of 10 Catholics are white. 46% favor the GOP. But this would put Catholics at a huge advantage on the court. Am I being a religious bigot when I raise this? Or is there a cult within the Catholic Church that wants to basically control the political process of the United States that we should be paying attention to? I think there is. But, you know, hey, if you're Catholic and and I've offended you, let me know. Or if you think that, you know, it's just, just that conversation is just like, you know, too weird or off base. You know, let's talk about it, because I think this is a concern. And it's not Catholicism in general. It's this particular cult within, uh, I'm using the word cult advisedly, within Catholicism. Kerry, uh, I think it's pronounced Eleveld, over at Daily Kos, the headline, Not a single data point suggests the Supreme Court battle helps Republicans more than Democrats in November. And let's just be clear about exactly what's on the ballot here. Obamacare in its entirety was struck down by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals down in Texas. They struck it down. They said the whole thing is unconstitutional. Now, the kind of logic that they were using to strike it down, I think, by extension, could also be used if it was properly constructed to strike down Medicare and Medicaid. But set that aside for the moment. Right now it's being used to strike down the Affordable Care Act. And if the Supreme Court ties on this case, and they're going to hear the arguments for it the week after the election, Roberts moved it back so that it wouldn't be an influence on the election. But if they tie on this, if John Roberts, who has voted on the Supreme Court before to preserve the Affordable Care Act, and they carved a whole lot of it, you know, the individual mandate, but they kept the act. So if Roberts joins the three liberals, And there are four conservatives on the court outside of Roberts. Then you have a four to four split, which means that the Texas court that said that the entire Affordable Care Act is illegal, unconstitutional, that stands, which means that 20 some odd million Americans who saw their health care subsidies were able to get health insurance at a substantial discount and in many cases for free will no longer have that. As early as January or February of next year, tens of millions of Americans will lose all their insurance coverage. And all the rest of us will lose our protections against our insurance companies screwing us over pre-existing conditions. So, you know, if you're one of the 55 or 60 percent of Americans who have a pre-existing condition, then, hey, you're SOL. You're, you're just out of luck. Sorry. Ain't going to work for you. So health care is on the ballot, on the line here with regard to the Supreme Court pick, because if Trump can get a fifth conservative or a sixth conservative on that court, and they're a right winger who thinks that Obamacare should be, should be deep-sixed, that it's unconstitutional, then that gives the court, even if Roberts is in favor of Obamacare, a five-to-four decision against Obamacare number one. So, you know, kiss your affordable care or anything else. Goodbye. Maybe this sets up an America ready for Medicare for all. I don't know. I mean, sometimes there are silver linings to these things, but that number one, that's on the ballot. Number two, the right of women to choose to have an abortion. And even in some cases and in some states to have access to birth control and the right of LGBTQ people to marry who they want and to have jobs and go to school where they want All of that is on the ballot, or essentially is on the line here with regard to this Supreme Court decision. And the ability of corporations to rob you, this is the really big one that nobody's talking about. This is what I believe Sheldon Whitehouse was talking about yesterday when he said to MSNBC, we are seeing a pattern in these Supreme Court decisions that ties back to somebody, and I would tell you, I would speculate that that somebody is Charles Koch and his network of billionaire buddies who have been funding the Heritage Foundation, who at twice a year were flying Scalia and Thomas out to their events to celebrate them and you know, all this kind of stuff, who have been supporting right-wing judges all over the country because they want their corporate agenda passed. They want deregulation. It's expensive to stop, you know, avoid polluting people's air. It's expensive to have to dispose of your waste rather than dump it into people's waterways. It's expensive to have to produce products that are actually safe. It's more expensive for banks to have oversight over their internal processes, or it's less profitable if they're not allowed to rip off their customers, create accounts out of nowhere like Wells Fargo did, just to be able to jack up fees and things. And that's the real agenda. That's what's really going on here. And by the way, if you think that outlawing abortion, that reversing Roe v. Wade is going to end abortion in the United States, you know, I got a bridge to sell you. I was in high school when abortion was illegal and women were dying in America. Joan in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Joan, what's up?
7: Yes, I'm calling to say, no, I don't think you're anti-Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I was a nun for 18 years been married to a Jew for 36 years. You are not wrong, there is a divide, just like politically there's a divide in this society, there are divisions in the Catholic Church too. Those really right-wing, it's all about abortion and anti lgbtq rights, those are the main issues. It's disheartening, really, for me. There was a time I grew up when I was a young nun, it was the time of Vatican II where there were a lot of reforms in the church, Well, progressively over the years it's become more conservative and trying to go back. There are contingents in the church right now who are against the pope and speak out against the pope. So you're not wrong to be alarmed about the number of Catholics. There needs to be diversity of voices on the bench so they can logically discuss the issues and not be same-minded. That's my point I want to make today.
4: Now, back in 1985, Margaret Atwood wrote this book or published this book called The Handmaid's Tale. And she has said that it was inspired by a group within the Catholic Church called People of Praise. Amy Coney Barrett is a member of that group, (laughs) the the person that Trump met with yesterday. This is what Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, said to the New York Times Book Review in 1986. She said, two things happened. I started noticing that a lot of things I thought I was more or less making up were now happening, and indeed more of them have happened since the publication of the book. Specifically, there is a sect now, a Catholic charismatic spinoff sect, which calls itself the women handmaids. They don't go into polygamy or this kind, but they do threaten the handmaids according to the biblical verse I use in the book, sit down and shut up. And that is Amy Coney Barrett's church, apparently. Do you know anything about that, Joan, as a former nun?
7: No, I don't I really don't know. I've heard about it but I don't know what it is. But example, Biden, there was a priest who refused to give Biden communion. Biden's a very religious man, but I think what's happened is just like in the world today there's a mood, a movement toward globalism, toward the acceptance of moving toward unity within the world. And I think it's fear that's driving Catholics and other religions. It's not just Catholicism, because there are groups that have split off with their mainline churches because of LGBTQ rights. I think it's the fear that's driving. They want to live in the past. I had a priest tell me recently, when I was looking for a more progressive church, and I said, look, when it comes to religion, here's my philosophy. If I want to get to Philly, I live in Atlanta, I can take many routes, and it's all going to get me there and he told me I had dangerous thinking, because it's still this mentality, it's this dualism, us against you, whether it's politically, religiously, or whatever aspect of life. And I think because churches have been in the business of upholding their doctrines and dogmas, which are man-made, really, and not teaching spirituality. And anything that smacks of spirituality is considered like this New Age stuff. That's what they call it. It's sad, really. It's sad.
4: Well, I I see Francis as a voice in the wilderness, and I am very encouraged by him. Joan, i got to move along, but thank you for the call, and thanks for sharing your perspective. It's fascinating to hear from someone who was a nun for over a decade weigh in on this. Joan, thank you so much.
7: You're welcome. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Great talking with you. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? I went to Catholic schools for
1: 16 years between 1960 and 1976, and I can tell that was you— was quite a
4: time of ferment. That was when Vatican yeah. II was just getting rolling there in the, in the middle of that.
1: Yeah, and the Church, especially after 1964, started to become very progressive. And what happened afterwards, well, it was John Paul II, he started to chip away at all the progressive movements that had taken place. And we have what we have today, and that ex that nun is, is correct. There is basically a schism between those who are more progressive thinking, Catholic Democrats, if you will, and right-wing Republican Catholics who really want the Church to go back to, I'm going to say, a Latin mass. Forget about uh, mm-hmm. the abortion issue for a second, but I actually taught at a Catholic school for three years, and it was in the early 2000s. And in the faculty lounge, you know, we used to get these magazines. And in one of those Catholic magazines, I can recall, and I think this was in 2003, there had been a poll taken about who is pro-choice and who is pro-life, who is an American Catholic. And at that time, I'm going to say at least from what I can recall, about 60% of American Catholics were pro-choice. Yeah, I don't know if that's true today, because I will tell you, They do a really good job in Catholic schools of driving home that pro-life message. Right, it's um, our way or the highway. Yeah, so I don't know if that's been chipped away, but I'm not offended by what you said at all. I'm not a practicing Catholic
4: anymore. Thanks a lot for the call. Good to hear from you. Jeff in Silver Spring, Maryland. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I got a bumper sticker. Yeah,
8: Republicans worship capitalism and curse creation. It hits on all Mm. levels. It hits spiritually. It hits the Christians. It hits on a um, historical level as far as our Enlightenment, where Mm -hmm. our uh, founding fathers, they didn't know what the universe was, but they mentioned the creation as synonymous with that.
4: Oh, in the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson refers to nature's God. John Adams tried to scratch it out and replace it with the Christian God and And Jefferson scratched out Christian God and replaced it once again with nature's God, which is where it's still there in the Declaration of Independence. So we have to stop worshiping capitalism in order to save our creation. Yeah, I am absolutely good to hear from you. Tim in Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today?
9: Everything that Ruth Bader
10: Ginsburg has fought for her life in terms of justice and so forth, that's in jeopardy now, okay? It's as simple as that with the Trump administration may be able to pull off, seeing the fact that Barr and McConnell are in complete control, it is right now with Trump. And what they could actually do is get somebody in there that could literally destroy everything she worked for for her whole life. That's the scary part what's going on right now. There's enough information about that going out to the general public. What she should have done when the Obama administration was literally in control of the Senate, the House, and the presidency was went up to Obama and said, look, get somebody to replace me, because she was even in ill health in that era. So she basically gets in there ill as she can be and is jeopardizing generations possibly with what they can do to a Supreme Court nominee. It's scary stuff, you know. And ultimately yeah. what we really need is a pragmatic, scientific, atheistic approach to the world's problems otherwise we're just putting band-aids on stuff it's as simple as that you
4: know yeah I can't disagree with that Tim spot-on thanks a lot for the call Sandra in uh, Omaha Nebraska hey Sandra oh I just wanted
11: to comment on the Supreme Court makeup and the fact that an overwhelming number of them are old rich white wealthy religious zealots doesn't bode well for the rest of us who may not have a religion at all it may have worked millions of years ago, thousands of years ago, for people when there was no education. You, you had a centralized, organized group who said, this is the way it is. Magic bearded white guy in the sky says this. But that's not how it is now. And it would be much better off if we as humans tried to work together to make life better for all of us on the planet, rather than some select few, because they're the special chosen ones. And it just gets annoying when, oh, well, if they're Catholic, they're special or if they're this, they're special. Well, if it was another religion, they might feel just the opposite. They might think, oh, how could we dare let them be on the court? So, you know, how about an atheist for a change?
4: Yeah, I'm all in favor of it. You know what happened to Thomas Paine when he came out with that suggestion?
11: (laughs) I didn't know he did. (laughs)
4: Oh, yeah, he did. He actually wrote a book called The Age of Reason, which was a proclamation on behalf of at least agnosticism, you know, of of doubting. I mean, he was an atheist. Uh, I I would say it was atheism. That book... Was banned in a couple of countries. That book got him arrested. <laughs> As a result of that book, only seven people showed up at his funeral in New York. Yeah. Um, oh, he was All of his political allies abandoned him because there was another uh, wave of religiosity sweeping America after, the, in the period after the French Revolution. You know, basically f- yeah. from uh, the 17, 1790 roughly until around 1810, 1815, and. And but in particular from 1795 to, to 1810, and Payne just got in all kinds of trouble for that. But yeah, I'm, wow. I'm with you. I, I want a separation of church and state. I yeah, really do. Yeah. And,
11: yeah. Yeah. I do too. I just okay. It doesn't. Make I got to run. Sa- Sandra, thank Thanks. you for the
4: call and spot on. Good to hear from you, Catherine, in uh, at Tascadero, California. Hey, Catherine, what's up?
8: They're putting their religious beliefs on the rest of us, and that does not separate church from state. The other issue is, is they think doing away with Roe v. Wade that that will do away with abortion. There's no way women will still seek abortion back alleys, whatever. If they want to have an abortion, they'll find a way to have one.
4: You're absolutely right, and those of us of a certain age remember a time when women did die from abortions. You know, I've told the story a million times. There was a girl in my in my class in in high school who apparently died from an abortion. We don't know exactly what she died from, but that was the story that we all heard. She had an abortion, she got septic, and boom, she was gone, and she was gone in a week. That was pre-Roe v. Wade. That was, you know, 1967, I think it was, 66 or 67. Gail in Middlesbrough, Kentucky. Hey, Gail, what's up?
7: I've been long wondering why Trumpists believe the COVID-19 deaths are greatly exaggerated and we don't need shutdowns or masks. Otherwise, intelligent church lady explained it to me. She knows, not thinks this is true, because nurses have been on the Christian Networks channel stating that hospitals are falsely putting COVID-19 as the number one cause of death on death certificates because the hospital in that way gets more money for every COVID-19 death. And I didn't yeah, know if you knew is, about that, but this is, this is all over the place in, in oh, the I Baptist, I know, in Christians. So I just wanted to point
4: that out. Yeah, I've heard this too. And of course, it's not true, <laughs> but people are dying of COVID. But we've got this whole brand new thing. It's called COVID denialism or virus denialism. And they're like the people who are denying that the earth is more than 6,000 years old or the people who are denying that the earth is round or the people who are denying that, you know, it goes back to birtherism in some ways, you know, that, uh, you know, was Obama, you know, an American, et cetera. It's this weird conspiracy thinking that benefits right-wing authoritarians and that's the direction they're going and it's so sad because your church friends are exposing themselves that they're in kentucky and some of them are going to die i mean this is this is just a terrible thing gail i i I don't have an easy answer for you other than that when things are tough and i i certainly noticed this back in the 80s when i was in the late 70s when i was doing international relief work and i was working in third world countries in africa in the middle east and southeast asia and in uh, central and southern america the worst things got the more people developed conspiracy theories about how they got that bad, about how these things came about. And I think that that's happening here. I mean, 40 years of Reaganism has gutted the American working class. So you've got people who are primed for somebody to come along and say, well, here's why you're in bad shape. And they're certainly mm-hmm. not going to say, well, you're in bad shape because of Reaganism. So right. let's give you QAnon. Let's give you, you know some new conspiracy. The hospitals are just trying to do it for money. You know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Gail, uh, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm sorry I don't have a, a magic bullet, but spot on. Thank you for identifying that for us. Bill in Grafton, Vermont. Hey, Bill, what's up?
12: Last week, a story popped up on two news sources that I checked about the women in Osceola, Georgia, who are receiving partial or full hysterectomies by the doctor at an ICE institution in Osceola, Georgia. And so I got on right, the phone- to doctor, it turns out, who's me. not
4: even board certified.
12: Right, exactly, this doctor, Amin, I think his last name is. But I got on the phone to my email and text and I started connecting with other friends around the country in particular, letting them know of this crisis. And I think it was, when you do a full hysterectomy on a woman who can't even speak the language, who's Hispanic in majority of cases, we're doing genocide right there and then so by doing that behavior so as a response to that for myself i reached out because i'm catholic by my history and i reached out to the archbishop of where i went to seminary which was in philadelphia at the time in mm-hmm. charles and philadelphia and i reached out to the archbishop there and i got his secretary and i told him not only about the bill barr problem of him receiving an award for being pro-life tomorrow, while they execute a federal guy today, but also about this issue of the women. And if if Catholics are truly about pro-life, then they need to be screaming at the administration about what they're trying to do by killing, letting women receive these hysterectomies and then deporting half of them to their home countries. I mean, there's a crisis at hand, and we're doing that, and I know you know that. And I would just say that the genocide that you were talking about previously, with the woman from Montana and the woman from New York... There's a whole issue, I think, that Susan Dantag, the writer, she's long deceased now, but there's a line that she had which was saying basically that the white race, we and I'm white, the white race is the cancer of human history, she wrote at one point as a line, and that we are eating up everything that is not white because it's for power and it's for monopoly of money and resources, and it's tearing everything up on behalf of those few people who are in power, and our unions... And our other people who have conscience and morality need to step up and vote this administration and the Republican Senate out of office because it's a crisis that we will not survive and the environment won't let it either.
4: You know, let's be clear, this it isn't that one particular race has a greater racial propensity toward genocide or violence or anything else. I mean, once you start ascribing that quality to white people, then it's a very, very short stretch to start attributing that or other qualities that might be equally undesirable to other people based on their race. You know, we're all human beings here, and we're all just with the same level of vulnerability in different ways. But what we're doing is this cultural poison. This neo-feudalism and white supremacy or racial supremacy, that is a cultural poison that has infected white people demonstrably for 300, 400 years. And in fact, I'd, I'd say you could take this back to the doctrine of discovery, you know, the Catholic Church's doctrine that if you discover a country, you basically can commit genocide against the people and do anything you want. It's all in uh, deus vault, you know, God wills it. This is a cultural illness that is killing us and killing other people and it's a cultural illness white people have to acknowledge you know and say yeah there's a cancer inside our culture or the culture that is bound to whiteness shall we say bill thank you for the call spot on sometimes louise and i just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving well cook unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs, and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two Ns or enter the code HARTMAN, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code HARTMAN or going to cookunity.com slash HARTMAN. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy
2: car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
4: I derive from that. Yeah, fundamentalism Um, within Catholicism. And let's just be very clear. I'm not, I don't have a problem with Catholicism per se. In fact, I think Francis is just like a really great guy and he's like something the world needs right now. But these right-wing cults within Catholicism, I think are just as toxic as the right-wing Falwell kind of cults in Protestantism. Back to you, Dave, I'm sorry.
3: Right, fundamentalism, regardless of the reason, I mean, look at ISIS. I mean, glaring example of, fundamental religion interpretation, and then breeding terrible intolerance. Yes. That fundamental interpretation of religion breeds this terrible intolerance. Not that I want to blame. If somebody's deeply religious, it's not, regardless of Catholic. I had a friend that yeah. uh he's a,
4: a Jewish guy from Brooklyn, right? And he can't stand Orthodox Jews because he says they're so intolerant there is fundamentalism in pretty much every religion. There are going to be people who view that religion as the thing that makes them feel better, makes them happier, makes them feel safe, whatever it may be. And they're going to gravitate toward more and more extremes interpretations of that religion. I frankly don't have a problem with that. In fact, I've, I've said many times, I think that, well, I think that uh, churches should lose their tax-exempt status. I think monasteries should keep theirs, which is arguably the most fundamentalist part of any religion, right? But that said... When a fundamentalist cult within a religion reaches out to control the political process of a nation, you've got a problem. And it's a problem that the founders of this country addressed head on, explicitly. It's a battle that we have had to fight over and over and over again in this country. Dave, thank you for the call. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today?
8: Hey, Tom, I'm very much in tune with uh, your previous caller, and my heart and soul go out to those people, and uh, I am not one of those who has not noticed it. I've noticed it for many, many, many years. Anyway, my point I wanted to make was, uh, you know, with this QAnon, this is, in some forms, it's another reflection of Trump's projecting. He is the one who was, in fact, involved in the teenage sex ring with his friend who was murdered in jail. Jeffrey yeah, and this is typical. Trump insults people like he's either a 12-year-old girl or a 13-year-old boy, depending on how he comes out. It's like he's passing notes in class. So I am sure the q and people keep him in stitches. He's probably rolling in laughter at all their conspiracies. It brings me to the point. Trump, for himself, claims no great religiosity, so I can't fault him. But as a former Catholic who still is recovering and from my years of experiencing, observing, and slightly participating in other religions, it's a dangerous thing. There's no two ways about
4: it. This cult within Catholicism, I'm not at all anti-Catholic. In fact, I think that the church actually should be doing a Latin Mass, but that's a whole other conversation. But this cult within the church that wants control over the state, that is where religion becomes dangerous, in my mind, is when it reaches yeah, out to control I'm wondering, the of the D. state. Opus Deus has always been a starch, pacifistic
8: version of Catholicism. And, and, and let's know. be
4: very clear, Patrick, this doesn't just exist in Catholicism. Jerry Falwell and Franklin Graham represent this in Protestantism. So, sure, yeah. Patrick, I got to run, but thank you for the calls. Just absolutely remarkable times. Robin in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind today?
14: I'm totally with you on the Pope. I do like Pope Benedict. And as a recovering Catholic, Pope, Pope myself, Francis. the cult is always doing something that really outrages me. Let me give you a good example of the latest one. Last Thursday, just last Thursday, a CU Buffs football director took 100 people, probably a combination of students, people involved in the CU athletic department on a big hike up one of the local hiking mountains right here where I live. And he was cited for a health violation because there was no social distancing. It was outrageous. It was on all the local news. And yet, the very next day, the Catholic school directly across the street from where I live held a fundraiser in its parking lot, again, outdoors, just like the football coach was outdoors with his people. There must have been about 100 people there, half of them wearing masks, half of them not wearing masks. And I thought, what the heck? <laughs> so anyway, mm. I called the police, not to report them, but I just called the information line to find out, you know, what's going on here. What are the rules pertaining to gatherings? And I was told, no well, more than 10 people. And while I was standing on my front porch taking video of this, A woman from that group marched herself across the parking lot and um, you know right up to practically right up to my door and she said can i help you and i said don't come any further i said otherwise you'll be trespassing and i will call the police on you and she tried to explain to me that it's okay that they're having this gathering so that was confirmed by the police later on the church has an exemption i guess that means they're exempt from getting COVID. And I just thought, I don't understand this. We're not even talking apples and oranges here, except one is a religious institution, and then this poor football director gets nailed on this. I called up one of the local television stations, said I had video, and they said, send it to us. I did. As far as I know, it's never appeared. But I was so outraged over that, Tom.
4: Well, you've got some states, and I don't know about the specifically the laws in Colorado, but you've got some states where these the leadership of the states in an attempt to stay in the good graces of religious leaders who have become now political leaders in America, which is like so wrong, have exempted religious organizations from their COVID rules and from their gathering rules. It just strikes me as so very wrong, and uh, so yeah, I'm with you, Robin. Thanks for sharing that story with us. You know, I'm sure it's not unique. It's but it's it's just chilling. Sasha in Kent, Washington. Hey, Sasha, what's up?
7: Well, Tom, I think. I know why Trump is so vehement about the Supreme Court, it's because it's integral to the plan to steal the election. And a 4-4 split won't work. They have anointed a president before, and, clinically, Harry Barr is really just a one-trick pony. He's, okay, now we do this. (laughs) And and Mm -hmm. he's done it before. So that's why so strident and so in a rush right now. Sure it meets other agenda items. But that's why well, he's Trump said this all the stops out on it.
4: He said this two or three nights ago in one of his rallies. He said, you know, we're expecting that we want to stop the ballot count after November 3rd. And we're expecting the federal courts to help us with this. And that would be the Supreme Court. He's um, going to tell you what he's, what he's doing. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, we're headed for a train wreck here. It's and it's not going to be a good one. I'm with you, Sasha. Thank you for the call. Terry in Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Terry, what's up? Hello. Article 3 Constitution. Tom, explains something about good behavior and that the court shall- yeah, It says uh, members of the courts shall serve on the bench during times of good behavior. Is there a way Biden can use that to basically clear the court and restack it once he wins? Or is that, how does that exactly work? The way that you remove judges, uh, federal judges, is through the impeachment process. So it would have to, you'd have to have an impeachment originate in the Judiciary Committee and the House of Representatives. They take it to the full House. The House would issue an article of impeachment against a judge. And frankly, I think that it's not impossible that this would happen against Kavanaugh for perjury during his hearings. For that matter, I mean, if we ever get our hands on the uh, 98% of all the Kavanaugh papers that were suppressed by the Trump administration, we may find lots of grounds for impeachment, particularly his finances. You know, who paid off his $200,000 credit card bill from his gambling and drinking or whatever it was. Basically, then it goes to the Senate. The Senate decides whether to remove them from office. It's very rare. It's happened a couple of times in our history. There was one Supreme Court justice who was charged with impeachment in the House. He was not removed from the Senate. There have been a couple of federal judges, I think maybe three or four in history who have been removed this way, but it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. I'm guessing that probably whoever Trump, if Trump can get somebody through between now and January 20th onto the Supreme Court and guessing the odds are he will, that that person's going to be with us for a long time, Terry. Many people thought Mitt Romney was like, Mitt Romney, he's going to be this great middle guy. He's going to be like the Dwight Eisenhower of the Republican Party. He's the reasonable Republican. He's the one we can do business with. He's the one who has some concern and consideration for people. After all, he did Romney care in Massachusetts, right? Well, it turns out Mitt Romney's now saying, yeah, we should have a vote. We should put somebody on the court. You know, the liberals have had the court long enough. I'm sorry, liberals haven't had the court since the 1970s, since Nixon put uh, uh, to Lewis Powell on the Supreme Court in 1972. That was the end of the liberal court. Brian, in Anaheim, California. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today?
6: The hypocrisy coming out of the GOP. It is infuriating. It is repulsive, especially Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, 2016, when Merrick Garland was nominated, he flat out came out and said, hold me accountable. We're setting a new president. Is it going to be the same for any Republican? If they have to fill a Supreme Court nominee, we will not fill a seat in an election year. That's how we're going to do it. And he has since come back out and just completely gone back out of his word. He gave us a pledge. He broke it. And we cannot stand for it. We need to support his challenger, Jamie Harrison. He's this progressive young black politician they are in a dead heat we need to phone bank for him we need to send him 50 bucks and you know we we need to take the senate it is absolutely essential also in order to take the senate anybody in Colorado has to call Cory Gardner's office anybody in Utah has to come out and call Mitt Romney and anybody in Iowa has to call Senator Grassley's office these are other Members, I believe, on the Judiciary Committee in 2016 who came out and said they would do exactly what Susan Collins has done, which is say we need to wait until after the election. Right. This is our precedent, and this is what we're going to do. Don't after forget, Joni, I'm, I'm Joni Ahrens, yeah. So that's what we need to do. It's not enough to just vote, Tom. We need to make phone calls. We need to financially support. Everybody can afford 50 bucks. I gave 50 bucks to Jamie Harrison. Everybody on this show needs to pick a senator. This is not a joke anymore. They need to pick a senator, and I recommend phone banking. Any of the, You can phone bank from anywhere. You know, you can phone bank mm-hmm. from anywhere, and it makes all the difference. Getting out the vote is going to make the difference on this. It is not an exaggeration to say that this is life and death. There are a lot of people. I mean, look at how many people died as a result of Trump getting into office. And Mitt Romney in, in the U.S. end up being Republican, you know, one more time. I mean, it, this is, I'm just really upset. We need to do a lot more than vote. We
4: need to phone bank. Yeah. We need to donate. I'm with you. Is there a particular website for, fun? you know, I know about, you know, for example, Indivisible.org. Any others that you recommend?
6: JamieHarrison.com. Jamie, it's spelled J-A-I-M-E. He's great. Okay. He's good on Jamie climate Harris. change. He's good on health care. He's progressive. It's a dead heat. It is yeah. a dead no, heat. He's a solid guy.
4: Thank you, Brian. Bob in McHenry, Illinois. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? If we simply add one or two seats to it, it looks like and
8: probably is politicization of the court. But what we really need to do, and I think this would improve the court, is to restructure it into two wings of the court, two benches one to deal with civil and one to deal with criminal law and we could reassign justices according to their expertise in that regard we could thereby expand the court to two seven justice benches if something really critical came up the second bench could ask to join in so that all 14 would review it and in the
4: event of a tie the decision of the first wing would prevail Well, no, it's an interesting so idea Bob. Really, you know other countries that, that do really, this in a variety of ways Germany, for example, has a separate court that deals just with constitutional issues. And then they've got a separate Supreme Court that deals with matters of law. Our Supreme Court does both. Does Mm. this particular policy or case comport with the law, or does this comport with the Constitution? More and more, they're just deciding things on constitutional bases. but prior to the 1950s, really, the majority of Supreme Court cases had to do with the law, not the Constitution. And what you're describing is a possibility, although there can be a lot of overlap between criminal and civil cases but it's an interesting one. I think that they should just expand the court. And I think that taking it from nine to 11 is a step. I think probably 13 would be better, but people think 13 is an unlucky number. So I would say take it to 15 and allow them to do like a lot of the courts do, where you have three judge panels and then you can appeal to the entire court. I don't know. It's, it seems like You're a, a listening starting to the point. the Tom Hartman program. Franklin Roosevelt damn near did this in 1937. And frankly, I think he would have succeeded if he had pushed forward. Rich and Cedar, Willie Washington. Hey, Rich, what's up?
3: Thanks to a uh, ex coworker, I have learned way more than I need to know about uh, what the quidiots and Q and nonsense world are up to. I discovered that increased religiosity and the cult-like atmosphere that was growing in that. Thanks that are discussed in the Q world eventually get mainstream, especially if they're useful in the Trump
10: world. What
3: I'm noticing now is they're out there proclaiming that Democrats are planning riots in the street when Trump inevitably, in their mind, wins expanded version of the BLM people with bricks and buses coming to your suburbs to bust things up. But now they're going nationwide with it. They're telling these people, they're planting this idea in their mind that there's going to be street fights after the election. So we're going to see a call out to the mobs with guns on the right (laughs) to go out and protect, Mm -hmm. I don't know, polling places or Trump's victory, whether he actually wins or not. Scary because this is getting mainstream, it's right now it's kind of bubbling to the surface in Q world. But it's you know like we saw with Caputo and his little insane rant on uh, his Facebook. Forum. Yeah,
4: Michael Caputo. This
3: stuff yeah. is bubbling. To yeah, the we surface. don't know if he got infected
4: with that particular thought virus, but he was certainly you know over the edge. I mean, this is a guy with a very very strange history too. This is early Nazism repackaged. This is, you know, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was published in 1902 by the Tsar's Secret Service, is specifically to create hatred of Jews in order to blame Jews in Russia for the things, while Tsar Nicholas II and his family were basically stealing the country blind. They wanted to blame it on Jewish bankers and Jewish moneylenders and Jewish shop owners. and They wanted to have a scapegoat, somebody to blame it on. Here in the United States, you know our Jewish population, I think, is only around two percent of our population, but our black and, and Hispanic populations are much more substantial. So QAnon has kind of readapted itself, and then of course white liberals and white Democrats. Uh, you know the, the the Hillary Clinton, she was accused of being part of this thing with the the Comet Pizza restaurant in D.C. and all that kind of stuff. It is concerning because these. You know if you look at what happened when the protocols reached their peak in Europe in the 1930s, in the late 1930s. People were killing each other. People were literally killing each other. Armed vigilantes in the streets. I mean, Kristallnacht came out of that. The windows of Jewish shop owners were smashed and synagogues were smashed. So much came out of this. And and again, they were directing it toward Jews, now instead of directing it you know saying that jews are kidnapping white children or christian children and draining their blood for matzah which was the blood libel part of the protocols of the elders of zion back in the day now they're saying democrats or liberals or black people or hispanics or all of the above people who are not white christians are kidnapping white christian children to do this with and what's particularly ironic rich is that it's the Trump administration that actually is kidnapping children and disappearing them. We have, you know, the, the Trump administration has lost over a thousand kids. We, nobody has any idea where they are. Were they sold into slavery? We don't know. I mean, you know, if, if QAnon wanted to go nuts about children, I think that would be a good place for them to start. But, uh, you know, that's not how it's going, and, and it's, it's just, you know, it's very, very troubling. Rich, thanks a lot for the call. Stephen in California. Hey, Stephen, what's up? Thanks for watching this on YouTube. I'm a longtime listener of your program and an occasional caller in. I mention that because my children
9: have always been listening to your program in the background. And my children are in their teens, and we're in a binational family. My wife is from a Nordic country where we actually live right now, and my kids are teenagers, and they're having a very difficult time relating to the U.S. because they just—I'm having a difficult time because, in many cases, it's a country I don't recognize myself hardly. But they don't have even a political memory of a time before Trump. And the corruption, the racism, the dysfunction, the way America is starting to feel like a failed state— is really impressing on them. And I'm, when I try to talk to them about how, you know, this is a phase America's in, we'll pull out of this, and I'm trying to use the usual optimism I generally believe and feel, but it's not resonating with them. And moreover, my kids aren't the only ones. We have other binational families that we're friends with, and their teenage children are suffering similar things. And I was wondering what your take on that is how do I relate to that and help them understand or believe in the promise of America and who we are or who we could be as a country again? It's really difficult for them. Yeah. They can't see
4: past this Trump stuff and no, I, they're just I, I, I at get the that corruption and the it's very difficult Yeah, it is tough and you know one of my challenges is to try to find the good in all of this i think that in a certain part of my responsibility doing this program is kinda holding us all together and keeping us sane and i keep reminding myself you know america's been through far worse than this we went through a damn civil war for that matter we've been through two world wars we you know we had the nazi boond in the nineteen thirties where a hundred thousand people were out there saluting shouting heil hitler we have been through this kind of stuff before we had woodrow wilson you know screening birth of a nation in the white house you had the Klan riding all across the country in the in the in throughout the late eighteen hundreds and the early twentieth century we've been through tough times and made it through. Whether we'll make it through this time or not, the thing that concerns me most, frankly, is the influence of Facebook and the ability of foreign governments mm-hmm. and uh, malicious actors in the United States to use Facebook to destroy democracy. Mark Zuckerberg is just making some horrible, horrible mistakes in regard to his management of that company. But I guess the best Those I can say is hang on, I mean, you know. moving forward. Yeah, absolutely, what, uh, and almost certainly cost us the 2016 things. election. But I would mm-hmm. say let's hold off judgment for six months. Let's yeah. wait until <laughs> at least February, March, April, and see what happens. You know, before we start making plans to leave the country or <laughs> whatever it may be. Stephen, well, yeah, I, yeah, I you know, is the thing still... is, you know, my kids look at the, the,
9: the, the divisions in the country and are just dumbfounded and just can't understand
4: it. Yeah, well, keep your eyes open. I mean, you know, it's, it's good to know the truth. and Apparently, you're sharing that with them. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees' distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks.
13: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
14: Ah. The comfort of your favorite
2: seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
9: There really is no place like home.
2: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
0: Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back
4: Lauren in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Lauren, what's on your mind?
3: The QAnon situation? Unfortunately, my mom has gotten really into this, and it's not just tearing the country apart, it's tearing families apart as well. She thinks that pretty much anyone, including me, who doesn't believe in this stuff is a double. I honestly don't know how we're supposed to combat this if a mother can turn against her own child based on this stuff.
4: Wow. What sort of conversations have you had?
3: Well, the last time I spoke with her was actually a couple of years ago. She found out I voted for Hillary Clinton, and she called me to scream at me that I was a baby murderer because I voted for someone who supported abortion. But she has been speaking to my sister, and apparently they've had a few screaming matches over this where she thinks she's either brainwashed or evil because she should know better.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Here's the problem, Lauren. At the very core of all of our being, at the very innermost center of who we are, is a sense of identity. And that identity is something that is socially constructed. We build it. I am my children's parent. I am uh, my wife's husband. I am my parents' child. I am this person in the world. So we have a sense of identity. and part of that sense of identity has to do with who we belong to, what tribe we're a member of, you know, what family and, and community we're a member of. Number one. And then number two, once we have established a sense of identity, of who we are, if somebody comes along and successfully convinces us, or events successfully convince us, that that community, that family, that identity is at risk, whether it's because our country is being invaded, you know, Trump was trying to use this with his caravaners coming whether it's because our country's being invaded or you know, bad guys, burglars are going to break into your house or if you're white, the one that has been sold to us for 400 years is black people are going to rape your daughters. Whatever it may be, if somebody can succeed in convincing you that some other group out there represents a threat to your identity, people will kill for that. I mean, that's yeah. about the only thing that can cause people to kill even when people join the military and go off to war they have to first believe that they are defending family friend kin community before they will be willing to kill because that's the only generally speaking for a non you know psychopath that's about the only thing that can lead to that. And and obviously, if it'll lead to killing, it'll lead to all that stuff that's short of that, like disowning your family members and things. This is the challenge. A friend of mine, I've I've mentioned before, a friend of mine who's now a a Hasidic rabbi in Israel, but used to work with Ted Patrick and deprogram cult members back in the 80s and 90s here in the United States. He's a psychotherapist. And that's the hardest thing to do is to change a person's sense of identity, and that's the first thing that these cults try to do. They come to you and they say basically, you think you know who you are. You think you know what your identity is but your identity that you believe you have has been based on a lie. And here's the proof of that lie. And let me now tell you what your real identity is. These are the people who really care about you. You're really, you know, really your first loyalty to should be to the white race. You know, it should be, you know, and, and here's the people who are trying to take you out and et cetera, et cetera. So when One of these cults, and let's make no mistake about it, QAnon is a cult. When one of these cults has successfully convinced a person, like your mother Lauren, that her identity is closer to them than to anybody else, then the next step is to encourage them to separate themselves from everybody else and only live within the bubble of that cult. Once that Rubicon has been passed, once that river has been crossed, it's really hard to get somebody back to the other side because the way you do it you can't argue logic with them you can't argue facts with them because we're talking about identity we're talking about the stuff that is at the core of our personality i don't have a, an easy answer for how to do that other than discussing that you know is this really who you are i thought you were my mother i thought we cared about each other i thought blood was thicker than water but even that i don't know if that'll work in fact you know i should probably get my friend on some one of these days or somebody else who's a you know a culty programmer and talk about how do you talk with these people i can tell you that the least effective way to talk to them is to argue with them because they have all the all the talking points that you're going to throw at them they're already ready for them you have to go in your conversations to that issue of identity not to the issue of the of the facts around things you know it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. I don't know. Has Lauren did anything? I, was anything I said useful at all?
3: Yeah, I think
4: so. Thank you. We'll do some shows on this. I'm, a, you know, Sean and I will start poking around and looking for some experts on this. Lauren, thank you for the call. I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. And I wish you the very, very best. Thank you for for calling. And it's the end of the show today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require all of us. So don't forget, IWillVote.com Tell everybody you know about that website. IWillVote.com Get out there, get active, tag, you're it.
6: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com